end of that song that David read, Please Don't Leave Me All Alone, one of the promises of Jesus is, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And so uh, we can remember that when we're struggling and when we're joyful or whatever, that Jesus is with us. Um, and this idea of righteousness that that song talks about is the idea of about our heart and keeping our heart in the right place. Like, obviously, none of us are going to do the perfect thing, right? We were having a conversation outside about Judas and um, how he probably would have been a Slytherin if you're a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> but that uh, one of the things that I love about Judas is I think Judas was uh, just trying to do something. He, he was trying to push the ball forward. He, he didn't understand what Jesus was about. He hadn't been paying really good attention. Sounds like me, you know? I mean, I really relate to Judas. And and he was just trying to do something. And in the process of just doing something, he screwed up a whole bunch of stuff. But God took that screw up and made it the thing that allows us to be here today recognizing the grace of God that's found through Jesus. So when you hear me say the words participation over perfection, do something. Like, go forward, move forward, knowing that Jesus is with you. You will never be alone. You don't have to do it perfectly, you just have to try. And God takes our best efforts and makes them perfect. Um, I wish that Judah's friends had reached out to him and said, we get it, you screwed up, but we love you anyway. Maybe he would not have completed suicide the way that uh, scripture tells us he did. But uh, that's a different sermon for a different day. <laughs> ago in women's Bible study, we started having this, if you're a woman and you're able to come to women's Bible study, you ought to come because it is the strangest thing that happens in there. <laughs> we were studying Genesis and ended up having a conversation about um, recurring dreams. Like I have this recurring dream that I can swim through the air. One other person is like, yeah, I've got that one. But the rest of you are like, you're crazy. And I've taught my kids how to do it in my dream, and Michelle is mad at me because she thinks it's dangerous, and it's not dangerous, is it? Um, and so, but I also have this dream where God speaks to me to tell me, slow down. You've got too much on your plate, and your stress is getting the best of you, and it's a recurring dream that I know God is using me, using to wake me up. And this dream is, I'm either in high school or in college, and I'm late to class, and I cannot find my classroom. And oh, now I'm not so crazy. <laughs> You're the weird ones. <clears throat> I promise there's a point to telling all of that. God woke me up this morning about 3.30, and I was thinking about this text that I'm about to read that I had written a sermon on. And I realized that I had misinterpreted this text in a way that I couldn't preach the sermon that I was going to preach. And so I had to get up and rewrite everything that I'm going to try to say to you this morning. So all of that to say, pay attention to all of the things in your life. Because you never know whether it's in a dream or in a conversation or in reading of scripture that God will speak to you. Kathy sent me a thing uh, the other day about... Um, mystics. 
and like basically a modern day mystic is somebody who believes you can actually have encounters with God, which makes me a mystic. Because I full on believe that God talks to us all the time if we're in a place to be able to hear what God is trying to say. So listen to this weird story. Jesus was with, uh, was in a tax collector's house. The tax collector was named Zacchaeus. You may know him as a wee little man. <laughs> Zacchaeus, Jesus going into Zacchaeus' house made Jesus unclean. It was against Jewish law to even go into a tax collector's house. Now think about this. Jesus went into a tax collector's house. But he also had a tax collector as one of his closest friends. That kind of gives you an idea about the kind of guy that Jesus was and why people didn't particularly like him that were religious. And while he's in that house, he says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. And the reason Jesus knew that is because Zacchaeus' heart had changed. And he was like, look, I've ripped, off, I've ripped people off. And I'm going to pay them back. And from now on, I'm only doing the right things. And it was his actions that showed that he had fallen in love with the God of love. And they're sitting in Zacchaeus' house, and Jesus says this. As they listened to this, Jesus told them another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought God's kingdom would appear right away. He said, a certain man who was born into royalty went to a distant land, received his kingdom, and then returned. He called together ten servants and gave each of them money worth four months' wages. He said, do business with this until I return. His citizens hated him. So they sent a representative after him who said, we don't want this man to be our king. After receiving his kingdom, he returned and called the servants to him who had given the money to find out how much they had earned. The first servant came forward and said, Your money has earned a return of 1,000%. The king replied, Excellent! You are a good servant. Because you've been faithful in a small matter, you will have authority over ten cities. The second servant came and said, Master, your money has made a return of 500%. To this one, the king said, You will have authority over five cities. Another servant came and said, Master, here is your money. I wrapped it up in a scarf for safekeeping. I was afraid of you because you were a stern man. You withdrew what you haven't deposited, and you harvest what you haven't planted. The king replied, I will judge you by the words of your own mouth, you worthless servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a stern man, withdrawing what I didn't deposit and harvesting what I didn't plant? Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? Then when I arrived, I at least could have gotten it back with interest. He said to his attendants, take his money and give it to the one who has ten times as much. But master, they said, he already has ten times as much. He replied, I say to you that everyone who has will be given more. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will as for my enemies who don't want me as their king, bring them here and slaughter them before me. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. 
like it or not, this is the word of God for the people of God. Everything that we experience in our lives is grace. I was reminded uh, this morning in a text message exchange with a friend of an experience I had when I was in seminary. Uh, I had I had an aunt who uh, was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, I had to get back to Carlsbad to be with my family, and so I was going to miss out on an assignment that was due. Part of the assignment had a presentation, and uh, so I knew I wasn't going to be there for the presentation, so I went to my professor and I said, hey, I've got this portion of my work done, but I'm not going to be here for the presentation. I've got to get to southern New Mexico to be with my family. And she said, that's fine. You can, you can do it all when you get back. And then she added some work to the assignment. And I said, I, I appreciate your grace. And she said, grace always comes free, but it doesn't come This parable is one where typically we try to read the parables of Jesus as allegory, where the powerful person in the stories is God or Jesus or the good guy, right? And so I was wrestling like crazy with God, trying to make the king out to be God in an allegorical way so that I could come in and talk about money and how we can use it in the right ways, like and then it turned into this, like, I was fighting against my own theology, and so it was going to be a junk sermon. I'm just going to tell you it was junk. And when I woke up this morning, I was reminded of the sermon that was preached on the evening that I was ordained as an elder in the Methodist Church. Bishop Dan Solomon preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard. And in the midst of it, he said, when you come up against something in Scripture that you just don't quite understand, that what our job is, because we are followers of Jesus, and Jesus is our rabbi and our teacher, who we want to walk so closely behind that the dust of Jesus' feet gets kicked up on us. Because we are Jesus' people, we use Jesus and what we know of Jesus revealed to us through Scripture as the plumb line to measure everything else with. And what I know for sure is that the God of love that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ would never take from somebody who's poor and give it to the richest. I never see Jesus doing anything like that in Scripture. Jesus spends time with tax collectors who are the poorest of spirit to try to lift them up. Jesus will go to where lepers are and spend time with them, and not just spend time with them, but will touch them. God is always with the downtrodden and the hurt, and wants us to be with them also, to lift them up, and in the process, we become lifted up ourselves. And the other reason I know that this isn't a parable that would be the all-American parable where money and power equal the right thing, which is godly. Because that's what I was trying to do. I was reading it through my lens of money and power equal godly things. Because that's what we're taught by our culture. Jesus doesn't start this parable off like he starts other parables off that are about the kingdom of God. 
Because if it's about the kingdom of God, do you know what he always says to start those parables off? The kingdom of God is life. And then he tells us a story to tell us what this God of love is like. So the kingdom of God is like, for example, a man who has two sons. You know this story. The younger son, I like to think he's the younger one because he's kind of the hero of the story and I'm a younger brother. The younger son goes up to his dad and he says the most hurtful thing that I think any parent could ever hear. I, I just kind of wish you would hurry up and die so I could have my inheritance. Can I just have it now? And the father in this allegorical story who represents God says, here is your inheritance, son. I love you. And the son goes off to whatever city you want to imagine. And he spends the, all of that money on great parties and whining and dining, all kinds of women, and eventually finds himself without friends because he's out of money, and he doesn't have anything to eat, and so he finds a job, and he's working, serving a farmer who is raising pigs, and think about that, he's a Jewish kid who's having to feed pigs, and he's in the pigsty, and he's like, so hungry, I would eat the pig slop. Now, I've seen pig slop, it's gross. Jewish or not, pig slop is gross. And then he starts to think, my dad's servants get treated better than this. I'll bet my dad would let me go home and serve him as a servant. And he rehearses a story in his mind. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And he rehearses a story and he's like, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against mankind and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you would let me come and serve you, uh, and he's like stuck, he's trying to find it, and he's walking down the road to his house, to his father's house, and he's nervous, and he's scared, and he doesn't have the right words, and he's hoping beyond hope that his dad is going to forgive him because he knows how he insulted his dad, and his dad is like sitting on the porch, I'm imagining, smoking a corncob pie, sipping some Tennessee whiskey. And off in the distance, he sees a person come over a hill. And the sun is behind him, so he's like silhouetted, you know, and he's looking, and he's trying to see who it is, and before long, he's like, that guy kind of walks like me. His stride is similar to mine. When he stepped over that rock, his head bobbed the way that my head bobs. When I do the same kind of thing, he swings, and his car just jumps to his throat. And he realizes that it's his son. And he runs as fast as he can, and he wraps him in his arms. And his son starts the speech that he rehearses, and the dad cuts him off and says, we're going to put a robe on you, and I'm going to put a ring back on you, and we're going to kill the fatted calf, and we're going to have a party because my son who was lost is found. kingdom of God is not like a rich king who is stern and takes what he has not earned and punishes people who don't do right by him. That is not the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus goes in, in the very next part of this story, into Jerusalem. We will celebrate it in less than a month. Palms are waving. People are saying, this is the kind of king we want. We reject this other thing. We want this. We want this king. We want this king who loves us and who will walk into the house of tax collectors and who will touch lepers and who befriends prostitutes. We want this kind of king who levels the playing field and stands up for those who are oppressed and who are hurting and who have done bad things and welcomes us all back in. I'm sorry that I was preparing to preach a sermon about managing money. I'm not sorry to you because I didn't do it. <laughs> but I'm sorry to God. Our job is to do everything in our power to point everyone that we encounter to the grace of God that is revealed to us in the life of Jesus Christ. If that means we give away all of our stuff, then we give away all of our stuff. And if that means we make as much money as we can so that we can give away as much money as we can, then that's what we do. But the problem with this king is this king was all about himself. And our king is all about everybody else. And when we make our lives about the common good, we are allowed to return to ourselves. And in that, we find freedom. In the name of our Creator, 